Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's called a temporary purification, a cleansing fire, a grace-filled transformation. It's purgatory, and it's the focus of this week's episode. Hear Bishop Rhodes talk about what purgatory is, where the concept is found in the Bible, and specific ways we can pray for the dead, including indulgences. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop, who is always so generous with his time and going to break down one of the more controversial subjects in Catholicism. So I'm excited for it. Thanks for being here. You're welcome, Kyle. Good to see you again. So uh, when it comes to apologetics, I, ca- I was kind of thinking about, do I get more questions about the church because I'm you know, around more non-Catholics, or do you get it because you're a bishop? Or do you think you get less apologetics questions because you're mostly around Catholics? Mm, I, I, well, I get them on this show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, no, periodically. I would say not frequently, but uh-huh. I would say periodically I get questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought before we get into some of these questions, if you'll indulge me for a moment with a little story. There's a book that I read uh, over 15 years ago now, so I'm probably getting some of this wrong. It was called Letters from the Desert by Carlo Coretto. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Okay. I, I believe it was originally published in 1966. I was looking it up this morning. In there, there's a chapter called Under the Great Rock. And so he tells this story of going from one village to another, I think in Africa. And whenever you get to the next town, the people would always come around your vehicle to see what you had brought from the previous town. And it's kind of how they passed things along. And he saw a guy shivering because even though they were in the desert, you know, it's really hot during the day, but in, in the nights it would get cold. And he had two blankets, but he thought, I'm going to be cold tonight and I'm going to need these blankets and didn't, didn't offer him one. And he said he, he drove away and he started to regret that he hadn't done this and thinking, yes, I would be cold without one of them, but he's going to be much colder without any. And he stops and, and takes a nap under a rock during the day. And he has a dream that the rock falls on him and he's sitting there with his extra blankets and he sees the man shivering and all he wants to do is be able to give him the blanket, but he can't because he's stuck and he's dying. The blanket's not doing him any good now. And all he wishes is he would have given this blanket to this other man and there's nothing he can do about it except kind of live in this regret. So he says, he thinks that's what purgatory is like. Looking back at the times that we failed to do the right thing and not being able to do anything about it and just suffering, wishing that we could have changed the past and dealing with that. And that in some way prepares us for heaven. So that has always stuck with me. I don't remember anything else from that book, but I always thought that was an interesting way to explain purgatory. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think it's a good analogy. Okay. Analogy is interesting because I, I feel like how much do we know concretely about what purgatory is like other than kind of comparing it to other things like a refining fire and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, the, the image that I like that's kind of similar to what you just shared, the story you just shared is a human experience that, we, that we've ha- all had. That let's say you've hurt someone you've lo- you love, your wife, your 
mother, your father, one of your children. And um, you really later regret it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you regret it right away, maybe. Mm -hmm. But you really suffer inside because you've hurt. And even if you've said, oh, I'm really sorry. and I mean, that's important, obviously. But you really still have that, you know, wow, this person loves me so much. And I did this or I said this hurtful thing. And, and you feel pain inside. Right. To me, that's an image of purgatory because after death, we encounter the Lord and um, who is pure love. And we suffer that we have offended him. You mm-hmm. know, I, I kind of see that as what the suffering of purgatory is about. Again, maybe an analogy, but it's, um, it's a human experience, I think, that... Uh, maybe comes somewhat close to what this reality will be in the afterlife. So I guess maybe back up a little bit. What do we know for sure about purgatory? You know, there's three paragraphs in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, so it's not a long part, but I think it gets right to the heart of what we know and believe about purgatory. So people can consult their their catechism. It's uh, number... 1030, 1031, and 1032. And it's entitled The Final Purification or Purgatory. So number 1030 says, all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. That says so much mm-hmm. in, in just, you know, I think that's one long sentence, that this is for people who, who die in God's grace. They die in God's friendship, but they are still imperfectly purified. But because they've died in God's grace, they will attain heaven. They will. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain joy about that, yeah. I think. Now, they won't enjoy the beatific vision of God or the fullness of joy until their purification is complete. But that's why I, I like us calling the souls in purgatory the holy souls, hmm. because they are holy. They died in God's grace, the holy souls. So we have this temporary purifying punishment Typically, we think of it as a cleansing, a cleansing fire. Okay. You know, that that is in um, St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 15. That's one of the scripture uh, passages that is, even though you never find the word purgatory in the Bible, the concept is there. Mm-hmm. Um, like in this passage from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And... Um, just this this whole idea of, of being cleansed. I remember as a child, or even in some art, where you see like the fires of purgatory. Unfortunately, that image of fire sometimes gives the idea of the fires of hell. Right. Sounds painful. Sounds really painful, yeah. And it's destructive. Mm-hmm. 
But when we think of the fire as an image for purgatory, we need to think of that differently. Okay. Uh, because it's a purifying or a cleansing fire. That's very different than the fires of hell. It's good to think of the purification after death in purgatory is really as an event of grace. Mm -hmm. In other words, God is purifying us, making us really worthy of him. He wants to purify us from every stain. He wants to renew us completely. So I think of purgatory in this positive sense, that there's this transformation, that we're getting purified completely of sin because we may not have totally received the love of God in our life because of our sins. We're not yet free, if we're not yet free of every disordered inclination. So I see it as an event of grace. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is our total purification, the full orientation of our being, our entire being toward God. And I think, therefore, it should give us hope and joy. You know, I don't think we usually think of it that way. Do you really think of purgatory as something joyful? I, I think it is in a way because, yeah, it involves some suffering, mm -hmm. but it's a gift from God. It's a gift of God that calls for humble gratitude. I mean, God wants us to be purified so that our experience of, I mean, the joy of meeting him uh, face to face, the beatific vision, so it'll be total, it'll be perfect. Purgatory shouldn't be seen as a temporary hell. It's not. Hell is, is definitive separation from God. Purgatory isn't a temporary hell. Purgatory is the journey toward the full possession of God. So that's why this image of fire, in hell, it's a punishment. But in the case of purgatory, it's a purification. So there's a difference in the meaning of fire. It kind of makes me think of, this This might be a little off here, but when you're roasting marshmallows and you pull the marshmallow off and you got this marshmallow still on the stick, if you put it away in that condition, it's going to attract bugs and dirt and maybe mold. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to be good. So people stick it in the fire and you burn off the extra marshmallow before you put it away. That's a the, great, yeah, the, I like that. The, the yeah. roasting stick doesn't feel pain. Yeah. And, and maybe in our, in the afterlife, you know, it's not a, maybe it's not a painful experience like physically or, you know, we don't hurt in that way, but yeah. Maybe there is a, a reckoning with our sin that is yeah. s causes us to suffer, causes yeah. Yeah. emotional I mean, I pain. We should want to be purified. Yeah, the attachments to sin, we want to get rid of that. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully, you know, in this life. But for many, I think it's going to be after this yeah. life too, and and that's the the uh, being purified from this attachment to sin, uh, so that we can be united to God in a perfect union of love through all eternity. So it's this removal of attachment to sin so that we can really enjoy and love God alone. But this removal of attachment to sin can be painful. You know, mm -hmm. it's like in our regular life, uh, when we have unhealthy attachments, it causes pain. But that purification is for our own good. 
it's not a torment for or uh, for our punishment. It's a temporary period of purging, so we can really enjoy the beauty of God. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, that's what we're made for. Now on Earth, though, before death, it's important to do penance. Okay. I mean, it's important to to be cleansed of sin and our attachments to sin. There are the daily crosses that we bear. They're given to us by God to embrace that cross, to make sacrifices, all the things that we can do even while we're still on earth uh, by the, with the help of God's grace. Mm-hmm. So this is a doctrine of faith. Purgatory, you know what? It's a doctrine that for me just makes total sense. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people struggle with the doctrine of purgatory. Actually, for me, it's just, I, I'm... I think it, it just goes with, with the whole, I mean, so much in the Bible. And, you know, even in the early church, I mean, it wasn't really defined, I don't think, until the Council of Florence or the Council of Trent. They talked. They taught about purgatory. But in, in so many of the fathers of the church, there is talk about this purging from sin after death. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, St. Clement, I mean, so many, St. John Chrysostom, I mean, there was the practice of the early church to pray for the dead during mass, during the liturgy. I mean, why would you pray for the dead if right. they're already in heaven or already in hell? So there has to be this other state. Even now, in the Eucharistic prayer, we always pray for the faithful departed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been part of the church's faith, part of our belief from the very beginning. And there is a biblical foundation, especially want to mention that 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, really, it's, it talks about that cleansing fire. St. Paul writes, if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, a reference to purgatory. I also think of in the, the famous passage in 2 Maccabees in the Old Testament where it says it was a holy and pious thought to make atonement for the dead so that they might be delivered from their sin. So even in the Old Testament, you have this notion of atonement for the dead. And then in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 27, argues that nothing unclean will enter the presence of God. And many, if not most of Christians, die in an unclean state of varying degrees. Mm So I, I just think it makes utmost sense um, to believe in in purgatory, and maybe like the the cartoon depiction of purgatory is what some people might have an issue with. This idea of we need to be cleansed before we get get to heaven, maybe a lot of people could be on board with. But the idea that there's a special room and a certain amount of time, and depending on how much sin you did, the more time you have to spend in purgatory, is that a teaching of the church that it, you could be suffer more or less depending on your sin? Yeah, I mean, I think the greater attachment to sin, there's a little more purification needed, mm-hmm. and that's a little more painful. So I think there's varying degrees, I would agree with that, of uh, purification. I mean, someone might need a lot of purification. Yeah, They yeah. died in the state of grace. They died in, in, in God's grace, but they still had you know, have more purification needed. You know, this is all, when we talk about the afterlife, this is all part of mystery, how that happens, but purification has to be complete. 
okay, that every trace of sin needs to be eliminated. That's what's important. Every imperfection of the soul has to be corrected. But the person is saved. So it's not like, okay, now you have another chance to another possibility to change your destiny. No, your judgment takes place yeah. when you die. That I've heard, particular judgment. I've heard people say, if you die and you wake up in purgatory, it's the best thing possible because you're on your way to heaven. <laughs> right, right. So That's why it, I said it is a mystery of hope yeah. and a mystery of joy in a way. There's also an important aspect we haven't talked about, and that's the, you know, we don't go through this alone. Mm-hmm. The holy souls in purgatory are part of the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're never before God in this sense, like as just individuals. We, we're united with the whole church. So we're united with the blessed in heaven. We're united. Would they be uh, called the church triumphant? The church triumphant. Uh-huh. And also the holy souls in purgatory are still united with us here on earth. So we're all part of the body of Christ. And therefore, we can help each other. We are, can be in solidarity with one another. That's why we pray for the souls in purgatory mm-hmm. or make sacrifices for them or apply indulgences that we gain to them. So there's this bond between those of us living in this world, those in purgatory, and those in heaven. And I think that's a beautiful part of our faith and the mystical body of Christ. Um, and is it those three? Is it the church militant on earth, yes. the church suffering, suffering in purgatory, and the church triumphant in heaven? Correct. Right. Yep. So if time is something that we experience on earth and... God operates outside of time and is infinite and all present to all times. Is it possible that purgatory is an instant thing that we would instantly be purified and go into heaven? Yeah. There's theological writings on this. There's no definitive church teaching Uh on that. I think of it as a process. Now, you know, as humans, I can't think beyond time. Right. That's the category we live in. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's kind of, I think, beyond us, but I do think there is a process and I can't think of a process that's not connected to time. So it's kind of also like when you talk about a place, I remember, I think it was St. John Paul II uh, and others, I think even Pope Benedict, you know, speak of purgatory as a condition of existence not as a place, a condition. So we exist in this state of purification in purgatory. But again, that's really hard Uh to grasp. You know, like, okay, what does it mean to be in a condition of existence? Because I can't think of being in a condition of existence outside of being in a place, Mm -hmm. a material place. So we're talking about something beyond our human experience. It's kind of like thinking of what is the resurrected life like say an adult is uh, coming into the church and they are baptized hypothetically speaking as soon as they are baptized the the sacrament is complete they have a heart attack and die so they i i'm assuming this is the greatest form of grace that you could be in Mm -hmm. Uh, would they still go to purgatory because of past De- depending, sins? Yeah, or... depending, because we don't know about whether they still have attachment to sin or not. Okay. 
I mean, the guilt has been taken away by baptism. Uh-huh. Okay, so their sins have been forgiven, but there can still be that need for temporal punishment due to sin because of one's not yet being fully purified, fully in in the love of God. So I imagine our Protestant brothers and sisters might object to the idea, not that people need to be pure to enter heaven, that nothing unclean shall enter heaven. They'd probably agree that we need that cleansing. Where they might object is whether that happens before death or after death, that uh, Jesus cleanses us so that we can enter heaven. And they might say that happens either at the moment that what they would consider you were saved or maybe at the moment of your death, but not in the afterlife. Would, would that I think be? most Protestants see it all. I mean, I can't really speak for all the Protestant denominations and how they look at this, but I think most of it would, most of them see it as completed by Christ. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they don't even see purification in this life other than one's saying yes to Jesus and accepting him as your personal savior. Right. I don't think that they view, as we Catholics do, salvation, this process of accepting the gift of salvation as a process. Mm -hmm. And where would we point them for an explanation of that? I, I would go, I mean, a lot of these quotes, I mean, there's a lot of scripture that I would point them to. I mean, I don't have them at my fingertips now. I, I mean, the Maccabees passage, they're not going to accept because Martin Luther got rid of that book. Right. He didn't want it. He didn't uh, like it. And mm-hmm. it's not in the Protestant Bible. I'm not sure how Protestants interpret that passage from St. Paul or that passage from the book of Revelation. Uh-huh. It'd be interesting. I bet, you know, some of these Catholic apologists have had debates with Protestants on these passages, but I, I really haven't followed that. But I imagine it'd be a pretty vigorous debate. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of hard to take the Protestant side on this because there is, uh, even in the Old Testament and throughout and in the New Testament, it seems pretty clear to me and, and, and tradition. I mean, how is it that already in those first centuries of the church, there was praying for the dead? Mm-hmm. That can't be denied. That's true. That's right there in the liturgy. Yeah. You know, and you don't do that at Protestant. I mean, I don't know of any Protestant churches that are that pray for the dead. Mm-hmm. It would still have funeral yes, services. But, you know, you'll see. That's why, you know, these idea of celebration of life and all that instead of a funeral okay. is really problematic. Yeah. You know, like the, I mean, primarily the funeral uh, liturgy is about praying for the person who has died. We cannot lose that. Mm-hmm. I also encourage people to, you know, as an act of love, to have masses offered for the faithful departed. And is that only to pray for them and their purgatory state? Or is there also, even after somebody's died, we can still pray that they were in the state of grace or were able to receive God's grace at the end of their life? Yes, because God's not limited by time. Right. So it kind of does both. Yes. What about our suffering on earth? Is there a way to apply that toward whatever we would go through in purgatory? Is there a way to... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, when we do penance for our sins. Okay. Yeah. 
that can alleviate yes. some of the, the need for purification. Yeah, that and that gets into the whole area of indulgences. And we've talked about indulgences on this show, yeah. I think, a few times. Not only offering prayers, but offering works, too, and sacrifices that we do. Not only for the holy soils in purgatory, but also for our own faults and sins. All right, well, I'm going to take a break. And if you have a question for Bishop, you can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll talk more about purgatory. And I do want to talk about how indulgences fit in with that. Coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we've been talking about purgatory, and uh, you mentioned indulgences, and I did. Want, I know we have talked about them in the past, but first of all, are indulgences solely for that purification that happens in purgatory, or are there other reasons to participate in indulgences? No, it's also uh, it's for any sinners, really. Uh, when we talk about the punishment due to sin, there's this reparation for an inordinate attachment to sin. We need that uh, full remission. Now, obviously, the guilt is forgiven when we are contrite, go to confession, we're absolved. The guilt is permit, for, for uh, is forgiven, but we're still left with you know the temporal punishment due to sin. An indulgence affects a genuine remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins. And this happens outside the sacrament of penance, okay? Mm. Because the sacrament of penance remits, uh, remits the sin. The remission of the punishment really presupposes the remission of the guilt. So you have the remission of the guilt, the forgiveness, you know, in the sacrament of penance. So in order to receive an indulgence, um, one has to be in the state of grace. It's the church that imparts indulgences. We speak of the, the church's treasury. So a plenary indulgence frees a person from all the temporal punishment due to sin. And in order to acquire a plenary indulgence, one has to perform a work to which the indulgence is attached. And there's those three conditions. We've talked about this before, sacramental confession, Eucharistic communion, and prayer for the intentions of the, of the Pope. But in order to be a plenary indulgence, you also have uh, required that there's no attachment to sin. That makes it kind of difficult to obtain. <laughs> but it's important if there's going to be a plenary indulgence. That's a, you know, a full remission of punishment. So partial indulgences would more likely happen if one is not totally detached. Because even if we're attached to some venial sin, you can't get a plenary indulgence. 
Can you explain how, like, the difference between somebody who has gone to confession but is still attached to sin versus somebody who's gone to confession and isn't attached to sin? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think, let's take anger as an example. Okay. You know, like, one is sorry and one doesn't want to uh, commit a sin of anger again. But yet they have that kind of even afterwards, that tendency, that attachment to anger, that mm. they're not totally free of it. I think that's kind of what we're talking okay. about here. Yeah. Really, the doctrine and the practice of indulgences are expressions of our faith in the communion of saints. There's this communion of spiritual goods among the members of the body of Christ, the church. Communion of saints unites us not only to other part, other people in the, who are pilgrims on this earth, the pilgrim church, and also with the saints in heaven, also the souls being purified in purgatory. Mm-hmm. So we can offer God the indulgences that we receive on behalf of the souls in purgatory. We ask God to accept them so they're relieved of the punishment they're undergoing. Mm-hmm. I uh, may soon enter into eternal glory. So the church says that indulgences can always be applied to the dead. So that's kind of neat. So you can gain indulgences for, you know, the souls in purgatory. Yeah, yeah. When Jesus descends into hell, is that literally he went to hell or would, would that be referring to purgatory? Well, it's not hell because the hell is the place of the damned. He uh-huh. went to the place of the just who were awaiting resurrection. The righteous who had died before the coming of Christ. We think of, you know, you can think of um, Adam and Eve or you can think of Moses. You can think of Abraham. And mm-hmm. in a sense, it's the abode of the dead. Okay. Um I don't think we would speak of it as specifically as purgatory. That's a good question, though, because they they would have to under, undergone purification as well. So maybe a kind of purgatory, but in a sense, it was they're waiting for the redeemer. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for release. Uh, it's interesting. The whole notion of prison uh, is comes up, and it's used in the first letter of Saint Peter. There's this this image of a prison, you know, where you're waiting to be freed. But again, this potentially could be taking place outside of time. So their waiting might not have been for thousands of earthly years, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the fact is Christ came in the fullness of time. Uh-huh. His death and resurrection took place in time, you know, at a specific time and place. So I'd say in a way there is a connection there to time um, because of the incarnation. So in the creed, whenever we say that he descended into hell, is that a poor translation or is it? uh, It's the abode of the dead. It's not the hell of the damned. Okay. Some translations of the Apostles' Creed will say he descended to the dead. And that's probably a more correct way of saying it. Okay. Because we just, when we hear that word hell, we think of the place of the damned. Mm -hmm. So whenever you say that or teach children, oh, Jesus descended descended into hell, you always have to explain, well, we don't mean to hell where the devil is or the demons. 
we're talking about the place of the dead. Right. So I'd say in a number of um, translations now of the Apostles' Creed, they, they will say he descended into to the dead. Okay. I'd have to look at what the Latin is, inferi, I think. Yeah. So I guess maybe to kind of wrap things up, you talked about indulgences and praying for those in purgatory, and we can also pray for our own and unite our sufferings with Christ, and that can help our suffering in purgatory. What would you encourage people to do, uh, specific prayers to pray if they want to pray for their loved ones that have gone on or pray for ourselves? Any, any go-tos? Well, I think Holy Mass. Okay. Having mass offered for one's deceased loved ones, I, I highly recommend that. I think that's the greatest gift. After that, one can always pray the rosary, whatever prayers. Um, you know, everyone has their own uh, preferred ways of praying, but the mass is always the greatest prayer. And, you know, I think pe some people are very much... Uh, are used to having masses offered for their loved ones. Mm -hmm. I think maybe others are not as used to doing it. Uh, you can also get a mass card if you want to uh, have a mass uh, celebrated for someone who has died and you want to give that as a gift to remaining family members or whatever. That's always a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can send a sympathy card, but it's so nice to have a mass card because you're having mass offered for that person. And where do you get those? So first of all, to get a mass said, you just approach your parish. parish and ask them. Yeah, usually the parish the office. Mm -hmm. And then they would give the mass card. That's that you right. Could... You usually give an offering. It's a $10 offering usually. If you can't afford that, that's fine. Uh -huh. But you normally, that's an offering to have a mass said for the person. Okay. You can also have masses offered for the living. Mm -hmm. You know, not only the dead. And there are mass cards for the living as well. But even if one is doing a holy hour, one is doing um, just doing their regular prayers to remember deceased loved ones in their prayer, even if it's just saying a Hail Mary mm -hmm. or an Our Father for them. If we don't know the state of a person and maybe we have reason to believe that they, they didn't live the, the best life here on earth, is there a specific way to, to pray for the person that... Uh, that God would be merciful mm -hmm. on him or her, or, or any words that you would suggest that we integrate into our prayers for people? Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the prayers in the rite of funerals, I mean, we do implore the mercy of God and we ask the Lord to, for, you know, uh, to have mercy on their souls. Uh, even if you say the traditional Catholic prayer, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they mm -hmm. rest in peace. That's very simple. Okay. But you can name the person when you're saying that. Sure. You know, sure. pray in your own words. You know, let's say there's someone you know, be merciful, O Lord, mm -hmm. to so and so. Or offer some sacrifice for them. Or gain an indulgence for them. Yeah. A partial indulgence or, you know. Because again, the faithful can gain indulgences for themselves or apply them to the dead. What's the best way to learn about those? Um, catechism has a section on indulgences, a few, a few, uh, num it's number 1471 and 1472, and I think 1473. There's sure. also the handbook of indulgences okay. called the Enchiridion of indulgences, which gives like, what are the different 
prayers or actions that have an indulgence attached to them. Okay. You know, so then you, but you have to do those conditions that we mentioned, the sacramental mm -hmm. confession, communion, and prayers for the Pope in addition to the work. Right. So you could get a copy of the handbook for indulgences and say, yeah, you know, I'm going to, on Fridays, I'm going to say the Stations of the Cross for my deceased parent. Yeah. And I'm going to apply an, an indulgence for that person. That's something you can do. All right. Well, thank you so much. I feel like this is a very controversial topic within Christianity. And I think it's great that we did a whole episode diving into it. I think the notion of indulgences is more more difficult to explain than purgatory. Uh -huh. But there is a connection. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Very good. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.